Before we read our scripture today that's found in Matthew chapter 6, can you join me in welcoming everyone that is watching online? We are so glad that you're here today. We believe God has something for you. Can you join me in welcoming everybody in Ironton? Man, God is doing good things. You make us better. Thank you for being a part of Be Hope Church. Matthew chapter 6 says this, starting in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There, Be Hope Church, your heart will be also. The title of my message is Becoming Generous. And as you have a seat, I want you to tell two people around you, mo money, mo problems, and you can have a seat. It really has nothing to do with my message today. I just thought it'd be really funny if we got to quote the notorious B.I.G. in church. Like, how much fun is that? Well, uh, I'm so glad you're here because we're starting this little mini-series about what it means to become a first church champion. And I, I really love Be Hope Church because we have this really unique mission. You see, we want to be hope to our communities and transform them by being someone's first church, not simply their next church. And to me, that's unique because we're going after the people that don't have any faith. And our hope is that every person who calls Be Hope Church home would become a first church champion. What does that mean? Well, here's what it means. Uh, sometimes in our faith, we can feel like we've gotten to the top tier of our faith. You know, we've done all the steps. We've been baptized. We've taken Hope Unleashed. We serve on a team. We have arrived and there's nothing left for us to do. Or maybe we're here and we're new and we're like, I don't even know where to start in my faith, so God can't use me yet. But First Church Champion reminds us that God wants to use each of us. And that if we are still breathing, there's still work to be done. That God still has something for us to do. So to become a First Church Champion, it means this. It means that you live generously and you invest spiritually to champion the faith of others. And to me, that sounds like a good time, right? And so today we're going to talk all about what it means to live generously. I know what you're thinking, that has to deal with money. You're right, that does have to deal with money. You're like, oh my goodness, I came to church on the money Sunday. How terrible is that? So I thought we could get all the icky words out of the way first. So I'm going to say a word and you're going to repeat it after me. Are you ready? Money. Credit cards. Debt. Poor, rich, moist. Haha, <laughs> got you on that last one. You guys are gross. <laughs> but you see, we come into church and, and we hear that we're going to be talking about money and all of a sudden we're, we just feel weird, right? It feels strange. I don't know why, but I think it's because we don't want to offend anybody. We don't want anybody to feel obligated if it's their first time to give. And it creates this tension within us. And we say, oh, church is not really a place where the talk of money belongs. Like maybe like the separation of church and money. But that's strange to me. Because everywhere else we go throughout our entire life, it all centers around money. Right? Chances are you're going to go to a job tomorrow or maybe today. And you're going to go there because you need money. You're not doing that work for free. 
you go to your kid's school and they have another fundraiser because they need money. The sports equipment, you got to pay all this money. You scroll on social media and they're always marketing things to you for ways for you to spend your money. You listen to the radio and money, money, money. And then we come to church and we say, money, we shouldn't talk about that here. But, but why? Why would we not? Uh, here's what I think. Here's what I think happened. Somewhere along the line, some church on behalf of God, not Be Hope Church, but some church, we will remain nameless, or some nonprofit on behalf of goodwill towards men or compassion and mercy, they confuse the message of the Bible about money with the message of profit for themselves. Oh, you know, because maybe you gave to that. They said, hey, we need you to give more because it's what God would want you to do. We need you to give more because these people really need your help. And you give, and perhaps it was for their own profit. Or maybe you give, and all of a sudden they don't spend the money in the way that they ought to spend it. And you're left with this feeling of, well, that's not the way it should be spent. And we have this tension within us. But because the church or that nonprofit and goodwill towards men did that, it's not the message of the Bible. You see, the Bible, when it talks about money, has little to do with our gain. It has little to do with our profit. The Bible has so much to say about money, has 2,000 verses about how we should spend our money. Is that not crazy? So there's this tension. Because we live in this world and then we read our Bible or we come to church and it's this different world. You see, the world's message about money is you need newer things. Oh, you need that bigger house. It's so good looking. It's going to smell new. You need that new car. It's shinier and faster and it's electric. It's so good. You need that designer shoe handbag because it's so awesome. You need the next thing. And if you don't have money, don't worry. You can finance it. Right? And we buy into that. We're surrounded by that every day, all day, this constant barrage of things we need to have a better life. And then we come into church and all of a sudden we hear a different message. And it just doesn't make sense. We can't make sense of it. Well, this is the world I live in and God wants me to totally be different. I can't make sense of that. But here's what I know. There's a lot of things in life that don't make sense. Let me tell you a couple of them. The first one is that Chances are some of you have a grandma that has a couch that's covered in plastic. <laughs> that does not make sense. Like, grandma, we have a couch to relax in, and when I lay on it, it crinkles and sticks to my skin when I get sweaty. This is not making sense. You know what else doesn't make sense? It's people who live in the state of Ohio and own boats. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but every body of water we have in the state of Ohio is brown and murky and looks like chocolate milk. You need a tetanus shot to swim in that dump by a boat. It doesn't make sense. Something else that doesn't make sense, I'm just going to leave it here and you can Google it, but vegan leather. Vegan leather. It does not make sense. It's a new thing. What else doesn't make sense is people who go bald and grow a beard. Like, are you trying to compensate for something? I just, I can't quite understand that. What doesn't make sense is the message of my fifth grade math teacher. The whole point of why we needed to know fifth grade math was because she said, it's not like you're going to grow up and walk around with a calculator in your pocket, so you need to not do this in your head. Joke's on her because we all got cell phones. <laughs> math teachers are dying inside right now. 
You know what else doesn't make sense and really bothers me is that our lead pastor, Brad, continues to schedule sermon series and then leaves town and leaves me to talk about money. <laughs> I don't get it. Brad, we can't wait for you to be back. <laughs> what else doesn't make sense is that you'd take financial advice from a pastor, not a financial planner. Let me tell you what I got. I got a 30-year mortgage on a 1,200-square-foot home. I drive a really, Chevy, a really shiny Chevy Impala. It's a 2014 model, not even electric. It uses all the gas. <laughs> I shop at the consignment store because I'm still paying on my student debt. It, it, it just doesn't make sense. The world we live in and then we come into church and it doesn't make sense. And so Jesus tells us these words in Matthew chapter 6 that say, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Or moth and rest destroy. Store up for yourself treasures in heaven. Oh, I don't understand. I, I don't know what that means. The Bible says that the love of money is the root of all evil. The Bible says that we need to pay what we owe so we don't become a slave to debt. The Bible says that everything we have belongs to God. The Bible says, take all your possessions and sell it and give the money to the poor. God says in the Bible to be content with what we have. It, it doesn't make sense. It, it leaves us in this place of tension. And when Jesus says these words to the audience then, it didn't make sense to them either. I want to let you know that not much has changed about money in the last thousand years. Because the people that heard Jesus say these words on his Sermon on the Mount would have known debt. They had debt back then. The Bible talks a lot about debt. They would have known the, the, the pain of paying taxes. Ooh, it's tax season. The pain of paying taxes. Chances are they would have had a spouse that still overspent what their budget was. They do and they understand what Jesus was talking about. It, and it didn't make sense. But here's what Jesus tells us. Jesus tells us that although you can't make sense of it, it's too important for you not to pay attention. Uh, unlike the things in your life that don't make sense that you ignore, like grandma's plastic-covered couch, this is too important because it has everything to do with your life. Romans 12.2 says this, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Matthew 6, 24, uh, you cannot serve two masters. Either you will love the one and hate the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So Jesus says, we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven. He says, it doesn't make sense. It, so what, what is a treasure in heaven? It's a nice thing to say, like, what does that mean? Well, well, it tells us. Let's go to 1 Timothy chapter 6. And it says this. Verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What's a treasure in heaven? Well, Paul's words mimic what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. It's about being rich in the things that this world say are meaningless. To be rich in good deeds. 
to live generous, to be willing to share what we have. And Jesus says, when we do those things, when we store up for ourselves treasures in heaven, we take hold of that which gives us life. Oh, that's a good message today. If I can kind of tell you what Paul says in these words, if, if that's how you store up for yourself treasures in heaven is being rich in good deeds and generous and willing to share, Paul says what you have in this earth has no value in eternity. That what is so important here in this world, in our society, has no value in eternity. It's like my kid's blanket, right? Did you ever have a blanket growing up? It's this thing that means so much to them, but I can't really sell it for a profit because nobody would want that gross thing. They'd be like, ew, that's gross. I'm not going to buy that. Paul's saying the things in this world that mean the most in heaven have no value. The, the Bible doesn't talk often about what heaven looks like, but there is this part of me that when I was little and I'd go to church with my grandparents, we'd sing these old hymns, and there was this hymn about the, the streets in heaven were paved with gold, and, and the Bible does tell us that in the book of Revelation. And I always used to think, wow, God has so much money that he has to pave everything in gold. How cool is that? And then as I was spending time in the word and, and working on what I was going to say today, I thought, is that true? Or is God taking what we value most and using it to pave the ground we walk on? Uh, fill, fill the potholes of heaven. Jesus takes our money and fills the potholes of heaven. Because when I go out on the road here, it's not beautiful. It's full of potholes. It's full of animals that didn't quite make it across. And God says, this is what is valuable in heaven. It's not that. It's about becoming rich in good deeds, willing to share, to become generous. And it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. And so here is Jesus' call to us. Jesus' call is to surrender what we have at his feet. To say, I don't have much, but I want to take hold of the life that gives me true life. I, I want to store up for myself treasures in heaven. I want to store up for myself a treasure where moth and rust do not destroy. And where, where thieves do not break in and steal. It's this weird thing that when we actually surrender our desires to God, we, we find life. When we give up the things that we hold so close to ourselves, it's when we find true life. It doesn't make sense. It definitely won't make sense in the world around you. But isn't that what we're all searching for anyways? Like, is that not what you want? To live a life that truly matters and you're searching for it. You're searching for it in the treasures of earth, right? It's the, the power that you desire that comes with wealth. It's the never saying no to your kids because you want them to have a better life than what you had. It's wanting the next newest thing so that you can influence others to be just like you. We're searching for meaning and purpose and value in all the things where moth and rust destroy. It's living the American dream. Oh, you know that. The white picket fence, the house, the 2.4 kids, the dog. It's the American dream. It's what we're all pursuing. I just want to reach that part where I feel like I have arrived in this life and it's going to be so great. Here's the thing about the American dream. They did this study and they asked people, what would it take for you to feel like you are living the American dream? And you know what they said? They said it would take uh, 
double what I have. And you're like, okay, they must have been on the lower end of the spectrum. No, no. People who made 30 grand, they said, I need to make double that to feel like I'm making the American dream. People who made over $100,000, I need double that to live the American dream. So what you're telling me is that it's unachievable, right? That, that it will never be enough. That I'll get to this place where I thought it was fulfilling, but guess what? I need more. That to me does not sound like a dream. That to me sounds like a nightmare, right? This thing that you can never obtain, that you can never achieve is a nightmare because in a nightmare you're trapped, you're trying to get out, you're running, and it's endless. Oh, you know what I'm talking about. You get the new thing and the next new thing comes out. You get the promotion and it's more work and more time away from your family. You get the new car and it needs these new things. And it's just more and more and more and it's this nightmare. Did you ever have a hamster growing up? We once had two hamsters, and then we came home one day, and we had 15 hamsters, so they all went away because we thought they were both boys, and turns out they weren't. And so in our hamster's cage, they have this wheel. Have you ever seen a hamster wheel? And they run on it. They run all the time. It's usually at night when you're trying to sleep, and it just squeaks and squeaks, and, and, and they run. And it's the most ridiculous thing, right? Like they're trapped in a cage, and they're not going to get anywhere. They could run all day, and they're going to be in the same spot. To me, that's the American dream. It's that we're constantly pursuing something and we're never going to get there. It's never going to be enough. We're always going to want more. We're always going to want new. We're always going to need something else to make us happy. And you know what happens? We have a decision we can stop. Did you know that? You don't have to say yes to the American dream. That you can actually, like a hamster, get off the wheel and say no. You can say, I, I've tried to find my life in that, and I don't want to do it anymore. It's not going to make sense to your family, maybe, at first. It's not going to make sense to your coworkers. But you're going to say, I've had enough because I'm not getting anywhere. I don't know if you're with me, but here's what I want you to know. Be Hope Church, I hate to run. Every year I make this stupid goal on my resolutions that I'm going to learn how to be a runner. And every year, I don't. <laughs> because it's stupid. <sighs> The only reason you should ever run in this life is if a zombie is chasing you. <laughs> I don't see any zombies today. So Behope Church, what if you said no? What if you said no to the things of this world where moth and rust destroy? What if you stop running on the wheel? What if you stop pursuing something that's unattainable? What if you stop trying to find your happiness in the next new thing? What if you stop uh, trying to keep up with the Joneses? Because can I tell you, the Joneses are broke. <laughs> what if you stop trying to put your hope in wealth that is so uncertain? It's always changing. What if you stop compromising your values for the next promotion? What if you stop arguing? Stop ruining your relationship because all you talk about is money because there's never enough and you can't agree on it. What if you stop the perpetual cycle of anxiety and worry of I overspent, will I have enough, how is this all going to work out? What if you just said no and you stopped? There we go. If you got off the wheel and you said this isn't bringing me life. Instead, I want to seek what God has. I want to lay what I have before Jesus and say, I don't know what you're going to do with it. It doesn't make sense. But God, I believe that I can store it for myself treasures in heaven. 
when I say that and I say stop and get off the wheel and stop pursuing the things of this world, immediately what comes to mind, and it's okay because we're all the same, what's in it for me? It's so ingrained in who we are as people. I think it's part of our survival instinct if we're going to go back to our way and our ancestors. But we say, okay, God, if I do all this for you, what are you going to do for me? Somehow I don't think God's surprised by that. In Matthew 6, it says this. But seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. It's like God knew we were going to ask that. What's in it for us? God says, okay, question number one is, are you in? Are you still going to run on the wheel? Or are you going to stop? And then are you going to seek me first? Are you going to seek me and build treasures in heaven? Are you going to be rich in good deeds? Are you going to be willing to share? Do you want to live generously? And when we answer that question, do you know what God's response is to us? He says, all of these things will be given to you as well. What are all these things? I don't know. It doesn't say. But to me, that's the wonder of our faith. There's so many areas of our life that we love to control. And you know what happens when we control things? We make a huge mess out of it. And so God says, come to me and surrender. And guess what? I got it all planned out. Trust me. Don't try to control this, but trust me. And all these things will be given to you as well. Here's what I do know it is. In Ephesians, it tells us that God will do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. I want that. I want more than what my mind can even wrap. And not for my benefit, because I'm building treasures in heaven. And so, Hope Church, I want to ask you, are you ready to become generous? It, because the time to be generous is now. The time to become generous isn't when you have more or when you're in the next phase of life. The time to become generous is now. Because if you're not generous now, guess what? You're not going to be generous then. Generous people aren't generous when they get more things. They're generous when they have nothing. So the time to become generous is now. And I know you have a lot of questions. You're like, how does this even work? And I don't know if I quite understand what you're saying. But the question is, are you ready to become generous? Behope Church, are you ready to become generous? Oh, Behope Church, are you ready to become generous in response to a God who became nothing so that we could have everything? Are you ready to become generous? Amen. Our God is good, and I can't wait to tell you about how good he is. So how do we do that? How do we become generous? I am a person that loves logistics. When I say that, you think numbers. I do not love numbers. But I do love what's expected of me. It makes me feel good. And so becoming generous is less about what you do and more about who you become. Less about what you do, and it's all about who you become. You know the things that don't make sense I mentioned earlier? The thing that doesn't make sense is trying to share with a toddler. Have you ever tried to share with a toddler? It's a lie. Never believe it. But there's something about them because they're so darn cute, right? They got these chubby little cheeks and these pudgy fingers. And they say these words and it's just so cute. And you believe that they are going to change their ways to share with you. And, and I know this because we live with a toddler. And, you know, I think that they are the meanest humans that have ever existed. So I don't know who works for the military and they figure out their defense strategies. But they should really be consulting toddlers. <laughs> And so our little guy is two, and uh, he doesn't talk a lot because he's our second born. And our six-year-old six -year talks incessantly, and no one can get a word in. 
But he, he loves to build things, and he loves to do puzzles. And so one day I'm in the kitchen, and he comes in there, and he pulls me by the hand into the living room where he had dumped out all of his Duplo blocks. And those are like giant Legos. I was like, do you want mommy to play blocks with you? And he's like, yay. And so he sits down, and I sit down, and, and he starts building this really sweet tower and puts it on the coffee table. And I go to reach for a block, and do you know what happens? You know what happens. No. Me, mine, Lenny. I was like, for not knowing a lot of words, you sure got the pronouns down for what clarifies your possessions. And, and so I look at him and I say, you know what, buddy? If you want mommy to play with you, you're going to have to share. So could you choose a couple of blocks that you'd like to share with me? I know I'm a really good parent. <laughs> and cue the next event that happens. That was mistake number one, was believing that Lenny wanted to share with me. Mistake number two was believing that my gentle parenting could change his ways. Our six-year-old comes in the living room. Oh, blocks, can I play? Sure, Lenny's just sharing his blocks with us. And all of a sudden, with more force than I've ever seen in a child, so much so that I'm convinced that now we need an exorcism in our house, he says, no, mean mine, Lenny. And I was like... And our six-year-old goes to grab the block, and he gets bit. Oh. Enter mistake number three. Mistake number three was not a decision I made in that moment. It was a while ago when we thought it would be a great idea to get a puppy when we had young kids. And so Dogzilla comes running into the living room, grabs the tower off the coffee table, and is running circles around us. So now Lenny is laying on top of his Duplo blocks, trying to guard them and crying. Miles is crying because he got bit. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, should I make a video of this to post on Instagram? Like... Like, will people really feel better about their life when they see what a mess my life is? And as I'm trying to figure out how to parent this, this is what happens. Our six-year-old takes, takes charge, and he goes, Lenny, I know you don't know how to read, but our family rules say that we are generous, and that's not who you're being right now. <laughs> he said, tomorrow's a new day, and you can try again. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, you clap for that, but I also know that some of you are like, she just made a villain and a hero out of her children, and that's bad parenting. It'll change by the end of the day. They switch roles all the time. Uh, but something within our family says generosity isn't what we do. It's about who we are. It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. And Jesus' call to us is not about less stuff. It's not about selling the boat we bought. The call is to live a life that truly brings life. And to do that, I think we need a plan. You don't just become generous on accident. It's a plan that you make. It's like there's two different types of people in this world. I'm not going to tell you which one I fall in. But you fall in one of these two categories. It's people who want to lose weight and people who want to be healthy. You see, people who want to lose weight, where do they go first? Every fad diet. Fad diet, paleo, Atkins, Whole30, all the things, keto, and they go from diet to diet to diet, and they constantly struggle with their weight. You see, they had a plan, but they didn't put a lot of action behind it. You see, the people who make a difference and become healthy, they say, I want to become healthy, and they change everything about their life, their nutrition, the way they move, what they listen to, what they eat, how they eat, who they eat with. They change everything about their life, so they don't just say, I lost weight. They say, I became healthy right? 
the same is with our faith and with our generosity. We have to have a plan and we have to put action behind that plan. It would be totally absurd if you were scheduled for surgery and you go into the operating room and all of a sudden the surgeon comes walking in and they're like, hey, I'm a big fan of Grey's Anatomy. I bought these scrubs on Amazon and, and I'm really excited to try some stuff today. Scalpel, right? You would come out of the sleep that you were in and you would fly out of there because it's not how you become a surgeon. No, you change your whole life. There's this vision that captivates you. They want to help people who are sick. They go to school and they study and they do their residency and all these other fancy things that take a really long time. And then they become a surgeon and they live it out day after day after day. The same is with our faith. The same is with if we want to become generous, we have a plan. We put action behind it and we live it out day after day after day. Here's what I know. When we have that plan and we put action behind it, God shifts our perspective. That all of a sudden our life isn't all about my soul gain. My life isn't just focused around me and what I need, but I begin to see how God is working all around me. You see, when, I, when we give beyond ourselves and we become generous, we become more like God because our God is giving and his resources are abundant. So what could your plan be to become generous? I don't know, because we're all really different. We all have these different lives and we're all in different places, but here's some ideas to get you started. You see, I think maybe your plan to become generous has everything to do with your finances. That as I talk about being generous, you say, I can't even because I'm so far in over my head. I can't be generous because I don't have anything to give. That's okay, because you don't need to stay there. You don't gotta keep running on that wheel. Nobody's making you, you don't have to. And so today you can make the decision like, I wanna become generous, therefore I need to get out of debt. You see, we offer this thing called Financial Peace University. It starts next month. And I don't care what you think about Dave Ramsey or if you don't wanna take financial advice from old dudes that are rich. But here's what I know. Unlike every other thing in the world that tells you to get out of debt, Dave Ramsey says, do it, stay out of debt. Why? So you can be generous. Okay. I'm in. Maybe the first step you need to do in your plan is to have a conversation with the people you live with about the reality of your finances. That's a hard conversation. This is what we have. This is the reality. How are we going to get here? Maybe that means no more Starbucks for a while. Maybe that means no more shopping late at night on Amazon, Cody Plaskett. <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure Amazon comes to our house at least three times a day. And the other day he's like, look, I got this ear cleaner and you put it in your ear and I can watch it on my phone so I can get them really clean. Cool. <laughs> Maybe for you, <laughs> you're, <laughs> listen, I asked permission to share all those stories and he said, you know what? It's fine. It's true. I do shop on Amazon a lot. Amazon's brilliant. Maybe for you, you don't have to become generous in your finances. Maybe you already give beyond yourself. And that's okay, there's other ideas. But maybe today your step is to give, to give to a mission that you wanna support. You see, I give to Be Hope Church because I believe in the mission. I believe that the church can be the greatest force of good in this entire world and I wanna support that with everything that I have. Maybe for you, you need to become generous with your time. 
Maybe you need to stop compromising all those values for the next promotion. Maybe you need to be home with your family and share a meal together. And we haven't done that in a while. It's hard to have conversation. What do we talk about? We say highs and lows, your peaks and your valleys, your happy and your crappy. What happened in your week? And God meets you there. Maybe you need to stop filling your kids' schedules so full that you have no time to breathe and just be together. Maybe for you, your plan to become generous is to be generous in your words. Oh, that's tough. Maybe even the words you say in person and the words you type online. That instead of being critical, you become generous with your kindness. That you store up for yourself treasures in heaven by encouraging others to live a generous life. Maybe for you, becoming generous is all about sharing your faith. You see, here's what I know, is you don't need another Bible study. You don't need another small group. God has given you everything in your faith to share it now. Now is the time to become generous. You see, when you're first church champion, you live generously and you invest spiritually to champion other people's faith. Jesus says when we do all of these things, when we become generous in who we are, and we surrender our life to Jesus, and we say no to the wheel and the American dream, that something happens within us and he transforms us. I wanna share the story of one of the most generous people I've ever known. Her name was Katie. And I was uh, just out of college, 21. No, I was like 15. <laughs> just in case you need to do the math of how old I was. So I was out of college and I was at my first church as a children's pastor and Katie and her girls showed up at our church. She had twin daughters, they were two. And one Wednesday night they just showed up and they didn't come there by accident. You see, they had this family that attended church and their relationship with them was very, very broken. It was very broken. It's those places in life where you know they're so broken, you don't even know how to go about fixing it. You have them. And this is what I told Katie, and it's my message I tell you to do, keep showing up. Keep showing up because we have a God who redeems and restores all that is broken. And I see it time and time again. It's when you choose to store up for yourself treasures in heaven, God works. So I told Katie, keep showing up, and they did. Her and her girls would be there every Sunday morning, every Sunday night, every Wednesday night they'd show up. And, and Katie didn't have much. She was very frugal. She would sew her girls' clothes and they would uh, map out their mileage versus the cost of fuel. And oftentimes in order to get by, she depended on the generosity of others. Somewhere along those lines, Katie and her daughters came to faith in Jesus at the church. And there was this moment where she came into my office and she said, Keisha, I just went through Financial Peace University and I have this plan. I have this plan to do better for me and my family. And, and I, I, after I pay all my bills, I only have a dollar, but I really wanna tithe. I really wanna give money to the church. She said, I don't think that's a good idea right now. I was like, I agree, that's not a good idea. She said, but I wanna give something. What about my time? So I said, okay, that's great. You see, Katie, was generous. Somewhere along the line, she wanted to give back to the God who had given her everything. The God who was restoring her family, the God that was providing for her need. You know, it would have been really easy as she came into money and better circumstances for her life to say, this is all mine. But she wanted to come before God and say, everything I have is yours. 
So she took crafts home and they would cut them out for church or they'd come in early to help set up and, and they continued to grow in their faith. Matthew 6, 21 says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Here's what I know is Katie's treasure was all about storing that up in heaven, storing that up for faith for her daughters to redeem the family that was so broken. She had that in eternity, a firm foundation. And she took hold of that which really gives her life. How do I know? I got to be the person that prayed Katie into eternity. It was a few months later and her grandparents, the grandparents called and said, the girls and Katie have been in a small car accident and the girls are okay, Katie's going to the hospital, can you meet us there? I happened to beat them there and I walked into the room and the nurse said, who are you? And I said, I'm Katie's friend and her pastor. She said, I need you to come with me. She said, your friend's gonna meet Jesus today. I need you to pray her into heaven. I said, okay, I can't do that. Sobbing, she said, sister, you need to pull it together. Your friend needs you. So I stood in that operating room, didn't know what I said, but I prayed victory over Katie and a reception over to the arms of Jesus. You're saying, this is a really sad story. This is a really sad story about what it means to become generous. It is only sad if Katie was still running on the wheel. If she was still pursuing an American dream that was unattainable, that is sad. If Katie was laying on her Duplo blocks as she came into a better financial stat and said, this is mine, I need to fiercely protect it with all I have. But that's not what she did. Her heart, her treasure, was all about those seeds she planted in heaven, storing them up. Here's what it looks like. Her daughters today are in college. They're watching online today. One's going to school to be a pastor. One's pursuing her love of ministry and mission and music and figuring out how God wants to work that together. That's, a, that's storing up for yourself treasures in heaven, right? what God wants for us. You see, I have a question for you, Be Hope Church. Would you stand with me? Where is your heart? Are you still running on the constant wheel of trying to obtain something that will never, ever be achievable? Are you ready to become generous? You know, we have these moments together now, and I know some of you like to leave early and try to beat the crowds at the check-in line, but I'm asking that you would stay today. Could you just stay? Because we have this space before we exit those doors and get back to life and our responsibilities and what's for lunch and all the things that distract us from what is most important. And so today we have this time. Can we come before God with the answer of where is my heart? Am I seeking first God's kingdom? Where is my heart? Oh, Be Hope Church, now is the time to become generous. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your love that meets us here, that challenges us not to stay where we are, but invites us into life that truly matters. And so in this space and in this time that we have, God, would your spirit meet us here? Oftentimes we don't like to ask, but God, would your spirit convict us for the ways and things in our life that don't quite measure up to the way that you desire them to be? God, would you meet us here and help us to answer 
Where is our heart? What are we seeking first? God, would you help us to make a plan to become generous, not for our glory, God, but for your glory, to store treasures in heaven, and God, to be hope to those who are desperate for it. God, would you do a good work for your glory and for the wonder of your name, in Jesus' name.